Welcome to Speak a Dogcast. My name is David Farb, Animal Behavior Specialist, and I am broadcasting from WOUF Woof Studios in beautiful Palm City, Florida. Thank you so much for joining me again today. If you haven't clicked that subscribe or that follow button, do so right now. New episodes come out every Wednesday, and you are going to want to check them out. You can also follow me on Instagram at Speak a Dogcast. And if you're looking for even more great dog training and dog content, you can support the show today by becoming a patron at patreon.com slash speakadogcast. And if the visual thing is more, well, your thing, you can find me on YouTube at speakadogcast as well. And guys, if you love what you're hearing, do me a favor, take a moment, scroll on down, give me that five-star rating, leave me a review, click the thumbs up, let me know what you're thinking. I would greatly appreciate it. It's only going to help the show grow. So do me a favor, click that five-star rating if you love what you are hearing. Yes, now today on the show, it's time for timing. That's right. We got to talk about how important timing is with training your dog, how we can improve your timing, and what you guys can do to make training better with your pup. Then comes dog stereotypes. Yes, we've all heard all of them before, and we're going to go a little more in depth on maybe even viewing all perspectives of this topic today. A little controversial, yes. Then comes the history of Animal Mascots 101, our brand new segment. This is only the second week we're doing it. I'm really excited to bring this to you guys. It's full of awesome information about how animals and the amazing traditions of uh, colleges and universities in the United States, how it's all just intertwined, so it's really great. Then we have the listener Q&A, and if you guys have questions for the listener Q&A, keep sending them my way. You can email me questions at speakadogcast.com or just message me on social media. Now, before we get going with today's show, I have to give you that trivia question. And today's question is going to be, what rodent can survive on almost no water? Yes, what rodent can survive on almost zero water? I will give you the answer to that question somewhere in today's podcast. So be sure you stick around, sit, stay, and enjoy the show. on Speaky Dogcast, it's time for timing. Now look guys, I always say, you can have all the knowledge and all of the understanding of dog psychology, animal psychology, training concepts, you can have all of that and more. And it's going to mean nothing if your timing stinks. Uh, <laughs> no other way to say it, because timing is so important when it comes to animal training. It really, really is. It's crucial. And it, timing has to be developed. It's not one of these things, at least for most people, that you just inherently have. And even if you do inherently have it, you can be better at it. Yes. So timing is something that's going to take time to develop, and it's going to take practice, it's going to take consistency, and of course, repetition. Okay. So timing is one of these things that I don't start off teaching right away. It usually is a few sessions in, at least two sessions, sometimes three or four even. Really depends, <clears throat> excuse me, on the dog and, and uh, what specifically we're dealing with. And of course, if the owner has put in their homework in time as well. <laughs> That's a little bit of it too. But timing. All right. So what am I specifically talking about? Look, it, it really kind of comes down to the fact that a dog can only focus on one thing at a time. It's the essence of their brain. Guys, I've given this example countless times because it's the best example. The Disney movie Up, when we think about Doug and he's talking and all of a sudden squirrel, right? That is the essence of a dog brain right there. That's it. That, that's, that's like you couldn't put it in a more perfect way, okay? He's trying to have a conversation. He's talking. Everything's fine, but he gets distracted by something and conversation stops and he has to pay attention to the squirrel because quite literally a dog can only focus on one thing at a time. 
can they learn to, and look, I know some people will go, well, my dog can multitask. He'll be, look, focusing and being able to sort of see what's going on around them are two different things. I'm talking about actual focus, okay? So being able to think and process and focus through on only one thing at a time is an important thing to note when we talk about timing, okay? So with that, again, you know, a dog's brain is, they're, they're simplistic. There's no other way to say it, guys. It's not to say that they're not intelligent. I'm not saying they're not smart. That's not what I'm getting at. I'm simply saying, let's just be realistic. We have to look at it. A dog's processing capabilities are not going to be the same as uh, you or I, a child, a dog, a cat, you know, a rope, they are dogs, uh, cats, even a cat, right? Intelligence levels vary. We can't be saying that a dog has the processing capability of an orangutan because that's just absurdity. If they did, they'd be an orangutan and they wouldn't be a dog. Okay, and even in the same note, orangutans have a certain level of processing capabilities that they cap out at. We're not getting into that today. We've got to revisit that sometime soon. Um, but but needless to say, it's it's important that we understand, okay, dogs are simple-minded. They can only focus on one thing at a time. And with that simplicity comes about, I usually say the 10-second rule is a fair way to go about it. Look, the reality is a dog only has about 10 seconds, that's it, 10 seconds to be able to correlate what just happened and any kind of reinforcement or even punishment for that matter that you're trying to give, right? So, you know, I've had the question where it, it's, oops, somebody's dreaming behind me. Oh, Riker's dreaming. <laughs> He's had a long day today. We had a big walk this morning and it's also getting really hot down here. <laughs> tires them out, tires me out. Anyway, so, <laughs> so getting back to it, um, you only have about 10 seconds for your dog to be able to make that correlation between reinforcement and punishment. And so oftentimes I'll, I'll get the question of people will say, hey, can I use a crate as a punishment? And it's not to say that you can't, but most of the time it's not fast enough. It's not quick enough. It's not enough in that moment to make a difference uh, in the dog's behavior, right? So I can't make a punishment. I can't make a consequence happen two minutes later. This is why, and look, this is just one of the reasons I, I, I personally, not personally, uh, look, we talk about housebreaking. What do, what do people like to do with the house? What's like the old school thought process? Take their nose and put it in it. And like, sure, by scent, they know that's their pee. But guys, the fact that, first of all, you can't punish that. It's just not going to work. Uh, they'll just hide it from you and pee elsewhere. That's the first thing. Uh, but the second thing is the fact that your dog can't make that correlation. That pee could have happened three hours ago. And three hours in your dog's brain is like a year. A little bit of an exaggeration, but you see my point. Ten seconds. That's all we have. So when we start talking about timing, I mean, isn't that just it right there? Okay. 10 seconds is all we have to be able for your dog to correlate what's going on. So this is one example of why I tell my clients and all of you guys, you have to have a treat pouch on. You have to have your treats accessible quickly because let's talk about the reinforcement side, right? If I see a behavior that I like, dog does a behavior I like, whatever, let's just say they, they were out on a walk and... Um, normally they like to, like we're, we're hanging out, I'm talking to a neighbor and then all of a sudden another dog starts, starts walking by and the normal MO would be to react, right? And instead of reacting, instead the dog chooses to sit down and relax on their own accord. I didn't ask him for this. That's a behavior I want to boom, reinforce. We, that's, that's, that's huge for a dog that normally reacts. So I need to get the treat over to them as soon as possible because here's what's going to happen. The dog sits down. And what happens? The dog's walking by, your dog's sitting and it's watching them most likely, right? And it's watching them and it's watching them and it's watching them. And I've talked about the soda bottle effect before. We're going to talk about it again right now. 
A dog that stares at something, especially if it's a dog that is potentially triggered by something. If I have a dog that stares at something obsessively and it doesn't stop, what's happening is we have what we call the shaking soda bottle. Okay. Now, like I said, bah, what was the first thing I said? Dogs can only focus on one thing at a time. So when I see a dog not just focusing on one thing at a time, but almost obsessing about it, it's a problem. I call that the shaking soda bottle. We're shaking a soda bottle up. It's, it's fizzing. It's The pressure's building. And what's going to happen at some point when we shake a soda bottle too much, guys? Explosion. <laughs> now, the explosion always happens in one of two ways. Uh, <clears throat> excuse me. Either a dog is going to explode in excitement and overexcitement, right? More overexcitement. Um, or it's going to turn into aggression. Now, Getting back to our example, I know I'm kind of doing a long roundabout here, so stick with me. When we talk about the example of a dog who potentially is going to lash out at another dog when they see them walk by, right? And instead they choose to sit, but then they're staring. And I'm not giving them any info at this point. They just sit down and we're not, we're not saying anything to them. What's gonna happen is the soda bottle is shaking. And at some point, if that dog doesn't get any other information to work with, what are they gonna do? They're gonna go back to the way that they've practiced the most, uh, the behavior that has been conditioned and strengthened the most, which would be, reacting. So it is my job to settle that soda bottle down, right? This is now back to the soda exam. So shaking soda bottle, it's shaking, the pressure's building, and we're going to have, instead of letting it continue to shake, my job as the owner is to settle that soda bottle down. How do we do that? Well, we have to redirect their focus, right? If I have an obsessed dog, I need them to be not obsessed. Seems pretty simplistic. We got to, we have to get them to stop looking at it. Now, there's multiple different ways we can do that, whether it be through correction or redirection. Now, I prefer redirection to start with, of course, as we've talked about on the show before. And if you have practiced my kissy noise exercise, right? If you have done the kissy noise exercise over and over and over, this is where it comes in handy because your dog's already doing the right thing. They're thinking about doing the wrong thing, but they're doing the right thing in the moment. So I don't necessarily want to punish that behavior, right? Like, you see what I'm saying? If they're almost going to go to the wrong, instead, I want to redirect the focus, redirect the behavior. That's where my kissy noise... Dog's gonna look up at you and you give them a reward. We have now settled the soda bottle down at least a little bit. By redirecting that obsessive focus, it actually takes the intensity down just a little bit. Now, your dog's gonna go right back to staring, I can guarantee it. They're gonna go right back after the treat and look right back at that dog again. Kissy noise again. Redirect, feed, good boy. Gonna go back to looking again. Now, usually after about three or four of these, it doesn't even take a kissy noise anymore. Your dog's gonna look at that dog and then look up at you automatically because that's the pattern we're starting to create and we're settling the intensity down. We're taking the intensity away, taking the obsession away from that trigger. And now we're reinforcing it. Now, getting back to my point here with the treat pouch is the timing here is crucial, right? Now, through that long example I just gave you, all of that information, you can clearly see why timing is important. Because if I wait too long and that soda bottle shakes too much and I don't redirect and set up, explosion. Not only that, not only is the dog going to do the right, wrong thing, excuse me, the wrong thing, not only are they going to do the wrong thing there if I let the soda bottle go, but do you know what else happens? We missed an opportunity to reinforce a desired behavior. Your dog was already sitting and already doing the right thing and we missed an opportunity to reinforce it. And had I reinforced that moment, most likely we wouldn't have had an explosion, okay? So this is why a treat pouch is important, because it's a matter of timing. Guys, I don't, I've heard every excuse under the sun of why to not wear a treat pouch, and I'll be honest, I'm really sick and tired of it, and I just don't, excuse my language, give a shit anymore. <laughs> put on the treat pouch. The professional is telling you, I'm giving you a legit reason to put this thing on, so just do it. 
just freaking do it. Do you want to do it the right way or do you want to do it the halfway? Which way do you want to do it, guys? Put the pouch on. And here's the reason. Time and time again, I watch somebody to go into their pocket to get a treat and we're fumbling because you can't get the treat because it gets caught and your pocket starts to get tangled and, and then you can't get your hand out of your pocket. And Sound familiar to anybody? Okay, so this is why 10 seconds you missed an opportunity to reinforce a behavior and now your dog's lunging, all because you won't wear a treat pouch. Ranting for a moment here, I apologize, but I'm getting fed up with it. <laughs> Thank you to my clients who willingly put on the treat pouch, I have to say that there are more of you than there are not, so I will I'll admit that. Um, but the treats in the pockets gotta go, guys, because it's a matter of timing. And I can hear, well, David, I can still get it out. It's, yeah, maybe it's not right away, but it's three or four seconds. I got news for you guys. Those three or four seconds are going to hurt you, okay? It's gonna hurt your training if you don't get on top of it. If you can get on something faster, you need to. Like, that's just simple rule of thumb when it comes to training and time. If you can be ahead of a behavior, you should be. Whether it's redirecting, correcting, or reinforcing, it doesn't matter. If you can be, well, reinforcing, you gotta wait till after the fact. Ah, I scared. <laughs> Come on, David, that wasn't right. Um, <laughs> I'm getting going and not even, ah, too silly. So yeah, from that point, and, and even, look, even from that point, you, you can, if you have really good timing and a really good eye, you actually can kind of reinforce ahead of the fact. It, it's sort of redirection reinforcement at the same time, but as we've talked about on the show, you can have multiple um, things going on. We can be punishing a behavior with positive and negative uh, punishment. We can be reinforcing a behavior with positive and negative reinforcement all simultaneously, right? So I know this stuff gets a little tricky. It gets a little tricky and I gotta, I gotta watch myself because I know there's some listeners out there who probably are queuing into all my little subtlety. And guys, one number one, there's always exceptions to the rules, always. Number two, um, timing is everything, and if your timing is phenomenal, then again, you can be a little ahead of the reinforcement. Okay, so food for thought on that. <laughs> Put your damn treat pouch on. Okay, <laughs> timing is key, guys. Timing is key. Look, we talked about the reinforcement reinforcement side, right? We kind of talked about the punishment side a little bit there too, right? Because if we let a behavior go, if we let a dog obsess, if we let something go too long, then the behavior gets worse. Your dog does the undesired thing and it becomes a little harder to undo. But if you can be ahead of it, if I can catch them the split second before they lunge, before they become obsessed, then your dog never lunges. Then your dog never becomes obsessed. I'm not saying that's going to happen 100% of the time. But my point is if you can be ahead of it, it's going to speed up your training and help your dog learn that much faster. So let's talk about the consequence punishment side of it with timing just a little bit. Um, because I always say, and you may have heard me say this before, I say I want my clients, I want dog owners to have parent mentality. Now, I don't have children, my wife and I don't have kids, um, we have plenty of animals, but that's the thing, it's par parent mentality, even with my own dogs, I still treat it this way, and I really learned this um, training primates, that's where you really start, <laughs> and birds for that matter, you know, really smart birds. Um, what I mean by this is it's not, oh man, why did you do that? It's not an after the fact thing. It's a, hey, don't even think about it, <laughs> okay? That's the mentality we gotta bring. Have parent mentality with your dog because the simple fact is, again, if I can stop a behavior before it ever even happens, it never happens. It never gets reinforced, passively or actively, and it never increases, right? So if we don't allow a behavior to become strengthened, even passively, 
then your dog is less likely to repeat that behavior. So it's not about after the fact retroactive, oh, why'd you do that? We can't correct things after the fact and expect it to change the behavior overall. We have to be on top of it. We have to be ahead of it. And we have to create that parent mentality of don't even think about it. <laughs> okay, now it doesn't mean you have to be mean. It doesn't mean you have to be angry. None of that. It's just timing on top of it. Hey, no. Hey, no. Okay. On top of it. Timing. Quick. Now, there's the other side of it. There's the one, one other thing we have to talk about today with timing. Swiftness, quickness, whatever you want to call it. When we train animals, and especially dogs, I mean, every animal, honestly, we want to be in and out with our information, right? We talked about the simplicity of a dog's brain. We talked about the fact that we only have 10 seconds. And so therefore, if I like what a dog does and I go, oh, good boy, good boy, and I just keep going, good boy, and get enough action, oh, good after 10 seconds, it doesn't really mean anything to your talk anymore. I mean, yes, it means something. They love your affection. But as far as from a training perspective and attempting to get information across to our dog, it's not going to mean anything anymore. So whenever I see a behavior I like, I want to tell them, good boy, and be done. If we're in training mode, right? That's the point. If I'm trying to train and cor uh, correct a behavior, change a behavior, shape a behavior, if we're trying to do anything from a training perspective, we've got to be in and out with our information. Now, training never stops. Okay, even in your house, when I do a sit, a stay, before I let them outside, I don't release them and then go, oh, good boy, you know, like, good boy, all right, done, quick, swift. Okay, so the point is, I want you to be in and out with everything you do. Sit, good boy. Stay, good boy. You hear my vocals? Very basic, very compact, very simple for a dog to understand. But if I go, hey, 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 Fluffy, 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 look at me, sit, 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 hey, sit, hey, 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 sit, hey, hey, sit. I don't want to listen to that. <laughs> Do you want to listen to that? I don't want to listen to Y'all sound like you're crazy. Like, what are we doing talking to our dogs like we're lunatics? Like, guys, they're not, they're not idiots, right? They're, they're not dumb. We don't have to treat them like they're dumb. Treat them like a dog. Hey, good. Sit. Good boy. Stay. Good boy. Hey, ah, ah, no. There's the other side of it. See how quick I am even with the correction redirection. Vocals say a lot to your dog, but they start saying not too much to your dog if you use too much of them. That was a weird way to say that. Hope that made sense. Um, <laughs> all right. So guys, the point I'm trying to make is you got to be in and out, in and out, in and out. Because the problem is if we just spoon feed our dogs, all this stuff, the information becomes convoluted, confusing, too much, overwhelming. And your dog will end up just shutting down and stopping listen, listening to you. Okay. But if I can be very small with my information, good boy, good boy, it makes them go, oh, what, how, how did I get that? How did, what, what? Makes them think, makes them process more. It makes them analyze what's going on and actually think instead of react. And that's how we get a better dog overall, is by teaching them to think, right? Think for themselves in a roundabout way, but the only way to do that is to help them think. And if you just try to spoon feed them everything, it's not gonna work, okay? So again, guys, there's a lot of important aspects to dog training, but to me, you yes, the knowledge is very important. The understanding is incredibly important because without that, timing isn't gonna be much. They're, they're one and the same. But with that said, you can't have all this knowledge and understanding without the timing, okay? Timing is crucial. 
It's definitely going to take some development for you to improve your timing. It's going to take consistency and repetition. And of course, you have to be aware of what you're doing. Take videos of your training session. See what you're doing, how you're portraying yourself to your dog. If you're being black and white, are you talking too much? <laughs> How's your timing going? And of course, guys, we gotta put on those damn treat pouches. Put on the treat pouch, please, 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 to help improve timing and training with your dog, okay? Now, whether it be punishment or reinforcement, we're gonna be quick with everything. Remember guys, 10 seconds, that's all we've got. We've got 10 seconds for your dog to make that correlation to what's going on. Information comes in, information's gone, okay? In and out with everything, be quick with what you do. If you do all of these things and you really work on it, I promise you, your timing will be improved, your training will be improved, and of course, the relationship you have your dog with your dog will be improved as well. of your dog barking all the time? Or maybe you want them to stop jumping on people when they come over. Or does your dog take you for a walk instead of the other way around? Well, we can help. At The Nature of Training and Speak a Dogcast, we are committed to improving the relationships and lives people have with their pets. No matter what behavioral issue you are experiencing, from an unruly puppy to more severe issues, we can help. Our virtual training programs are catered to you and your pet and create a training plan that gets results. For more information, you can check out our website at www.thenatureoftraining.com or find us on Facebook or Instagram at Speak a Dogcast. With the ability to connect, teach, and train with pet owners around the world, together we can make a better home for our furry friends. The Nature of Training and Speak a Dogcast, helping you achieve success with your pet. Dog stereotypes. Now I know all you dog owners out there are not a fan of this because we all know what I'm talking about. We're talking about the bully breeds, the shepherds, the, everybody that gets lumped into this um, quote aggressive dog breed stuff. And here's the thing: I'm gonna, I'm, I'm going to be honest with you guys. I'm going to look at it from both perspectives a little bit today because you have to, in my opinion, in order to come to, in order to come to the to the correct end result, right? What am I trying to say? The correct information in order to find out what's right, you have to look at both sides of the aisle. And I think that's true with everything in life. If you're not looking at what the other side is truly saying, not just what you're being told, how are you ever going to discover the truth of it? And, you know, for that matter, I think there's probably some truth in both sides of the aisle on dog stereotypes, if I'm just being honest, because here's the thing, guys, and I know, look, disclaimer alert, you may not like what I'm saying right now, but deal with it. Um, Stereotypes are stereotypes for a reason. I know people hate hearing that, but they're based in something, okay? They're based in something, and no matter how exaggerated or untrue the stereotype becomes, it comes from somewhere. And when we talk about dogs especially, we're talking about something very serious here. Guys, this is something I, I'm very honest about and I don't mess around with. To me, dogs are really more dangerous than a loaded weapon. And the reason becomes is because a weapon has to be discharged by a person. A dog does not. If a dog gets loose and bites somebody, it's a little different than, you know, a weapon sitting in somebody's home. I'm not getting into this debate today uh, of that whole thing, but I'm simply trying to say a dog will choose to bite somebody, potentially. Potentially. They're a living creature that can make a decision whether we agree with it or not. So a dog is a dangerous weapon sometimes. Guys, they're literally used for exactly that. 
dogs are literally used as a weapon. So to not understand and recognize the potential danger, the potential strength, the potential harm that can come from some of these breeds is pure ignorance. Is that to say that bully breed stereotypes are correct? Hell no. Okay, like I said, guys, both sides of the coin today. So stick with me. Don't rush to be prejudging stuff. And hear what I have to say today. So why do these dogs get grouped? Why do we have aggressive dog breeds on these lists in, in cities and states that flat out outlaw and countries that outlaw certain dogs? Guys, let's just be realistic here. If you've listened to my podcast for a long time, we could go way back and go to my Breed of the Week segments. And when we start listening about these breeds, when I start telling you guys about the history of these breeds, and if you haven't done your own research, I implore you to, a lot of these dog breeds were bred for not so great reasons, unfortunately, such as fighting. Bullfighting is where it starts. Um, and then it starts, ended up becoming into dog fighting. And a lot of these breeds were originally bred for purposes like that. Hell, a Doberman was bred for specifically protection. So to sit here and say, to sit here and say every dog is an angel and perfect is just not true. I'm sorry, it's just not. Is that to say they're bad dogs? No. Is that to say perhaps the dogs are traumatized or those behaviors have what is what's been reinforced in that dog's life? You see the problem here. Okay, so the dogs, while it's not really their fault at the end of the day, it's not, they didn't breed themselves to be these things, they didn't create these problems, they're not understimulating these dogs uh, they're themselves, right? It's not their problem that they get chained in a backyard and left to their own fruition and can't do anything and get bored and frustrated. And so again, I can see both sides of the coin when we start talking about breed stereotypes. Now, I personally don't believe in these breed stereotypes to that degree because I have met, I, it's just, I've met countless pit bulls that are the sweetest dogs you'll ever know. It's just true. I've met German Shepherds that are some of the sweetest dogs you'll ever know. I can also say the other side of the coin, I've met some that are not so nice. I could also say one of the worst dogs I have ever worked with, guys, in 14 years, I bet you none of you will guess the breed. Now I know because I said that, some of you are going golden retriever. No, it's not a golden, but it was a Labrador. Without a doubt, one of the one of the scariest dogs I worked with was a yellow lab. He was downright dangerous. He was strong, he was powerful, and he wanted to shred other dogs. Are we going to put Labradors on that list tomorrow because of this instance? Are we going to start banning Labrador retrievers everywhere? No, because at the end of the day, guys, these are canines. These are dogs. These are domesticated wolves. These are predators. These are animals that have predatory instincts. And no matter how much we domesticate them, it's still in there. One of my, uh, one of my colleagues, um, he's been doing this a long time, and the only time he ever got severely bit by a dog, guys. Only time. Anybody want to guess what the breed is? Because it wasn't on the list. Border Collie tore his hands up. Yeah, Border Collie, okay? So I implore you to not believe stereotypes, but at the same time, we have to recognize what a dog is. And what a dog is, is a predator, is a domesticated wolf. And to ignore that is just silly, okay? So with that said, can we have German Shepherds? Can we have Dobermans? Can we have Bully Breeds? Can we have these dogs, uh, uh, Belgian, you know, Malinois, you know, can we have these dogs living in a home environment? And the answer is yes, it can work. Absolutely. It works all the time. It's, it, come on. Like, let's, let's be realistic. It, there's 
how many of these dogs around the country, and statistically speaking, they're not all biting people. So what does that tell you? That the stereotype is not necessarily true. It's just not. It's not. Is that to say that Dobermans for a long time had those traits really bred into them pretty hard? Oh yeah, they did. They did. Uh, but responsible breeders have been attempting to breed a lot of that out and bring the wonderful traits that Dobermans have out even more. Okay, so there is this fine line where we're still kind of on this cusp of bringing a lot of these breeds out of that aggressive funk. I don't know if that's the right word for it, but we, we looked for those traits in the 1800s, especially people were looking for those nasty traits in dogs and breeding them. Not all dogs, but enough of them that it started to create enough of a basis of a stereotype. This is what I'm talking about. It's based in sort of generalizations. And you can't base all behavior in generalizations because, you know, then we would say, well, human beings aren't the best. I was going to use that example, but hey, maybe that's not the right one to use. Um, <laughs> so we, we'll, we'll move on from that one. Um, point is, guys, this stuff comes from somewhere. It's not to say there isn't a basis in it, but to me, to just outright ban breeds, that's ignorance. That's pure and simple ignorance. Now, to everybody that rents out there, I, I, I feel your pain, I do, because a lot of you are stuck and you can't, you know, you can't move because you're a dog, or you're very restricted on houses you can, and, and I get it, but at the same time, I see the owner's perspective, I do, because there are, uh, you know, the, the landlord's perspective there, if you will, because there are a lot of irresponsible dog owners out there. And that's that's one of the point I want to points I want to make. Years and years ago, um, we lived in a neighborhood where we had these uh, this family that had like two or three pit bulls, and all they did, guys, was chain them up in the back fence backyard and they just lived their lives outside chained up. They barked constantly, they would get out, and it was scary when they did. Just being very honest, it was not a fun thing when those dogs got out. Pit bulls, pit mixes, and that's the other and there's the other side of it. Most of these quote-unquote pit bulls are not even full pits, guys. They're mixed with all kinds of breeds. We label, we're so quick to see a dog that has this bigger head and all of a sudden, oh, it's pit bull. No, come on. Okay, so that's the other thing is most of these breed uh, uh, banning lists that are that exist don't even include all the dogs that they theoretically by their standards should because of the pure ignorance around it. So that's the point, guys, is we have to understand the reason that these uh, breed stereotypes exist is one, generalizations, and two, ignorance, unfortunately. But again, I look at the other side of the coin that a dog is a dangerous thing and in the wrong hands can cause harm, can, can cause death. I mean, uh, just last week we read about a woman who was sunbathing and two pit bulls mauled her to death, guys. It was a grandma sunbathing outside, two pit bulls got out. And again, I don't know if they were pit, I'm not going to make that stereotype and generalization, but these these dogs mauled her to death. It's that simple. Could it have been a different breed? Yeah. So there is the reality on both sides of the coin here. But the way I see it is dogs in general have potential to be dangerous, have potential to cause harm. How many of you out there know people with chihuahuas or little dogs that have Napoleon complexes and we all just accept it because they can't hurt anybody? But imagine if that dog was 100 pounds. We have no problem with the behavior of a 7-pound dog that is identical to the behavior of an 80 or 100-pound dog just because of what they look like or their breed or because, oh, they can't cause as much harm, David, so who cares? I think that's the problem right there with our society, guys. We don't really view, when it comes to behavior at least, we don't view behavioral problems as something we can 
we should fix. We view them as something we should throw a Band-Aid on because what do you do with a little dog? Oh, you can just scoop them up, so who cares? Who cares that the dog is anxious? Who cares that the dog is nervous? Who cares that the dog tries to attack anybody that comes in the house? Who cares that he drew blood? It was just a little bit because he's a small dog. Can you imagine the outrage if it looked like a pit bull? So that's the point. Both sides of the coin have some truth in it. But to stereotype a breed and to outright ban them, I think that's just pure ignorance and, and kind of stupidity in a way. I'm sorry, but it is. It's, it's a Band-Aid. It's a let's the CYOA, cover your own booty. <laughs> that's what these things are, guys. And to some degree, I understand. But at the same time, come on. So do you want to know the way to change people's perceptions of these dogs? I'm talking to you, German Shepherd owners. I'm talking to you, pit owners. I'm talking to you, Doberman owners. I'm talking to all of you stereotypical breed owners. You as the owner have a responsibility to make your dog the best they can possibly be. I know, David, why? Why should, because, because you're, you're taking on that dog and you're taking on the baggage that comes with it, whether we like it or not. So it is your job to help change the perceptions of people out there by making your dog well-behaved, by training them, exercising them, stimulating them. That's how we uh, undo these undesired stereotypes. Because guys, what we really have is, when we talk about a pit bull that's been chained up and gets out, what we're really talking about is an understimulated, underappreciated, underloved, bored, out of his mind dog. And I don't know about you guys, but if I was bred with high energy and I was bred with a little bit of, of, of tenacity and I'm just, and I'm stuck in this backyard and all I see are these four walls around me all the time, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and I'm chained up and I can't do anything and I finally get out, what do you think is going to happen? What do you think the end result is going to be? So again, as much as I don't like to say, yeah, unfortunately, guys, it is, it is your duty as the Doberman owner, as the German Shepherd owner, what have you. Bulldogs even, bulldogs get on the list too. It is your job. Yeah, believe it or not, bulldogs, right? Uh, it's your job as the owner to help change the perception out there of what these dogs are capable of. Because quite frankly, I think a lot of those breeds are some of the best breeds out there of a dog because they, they, they epitomize what a dog is. Drive, tenacity, all those things we talk, that's what makes a dog awesome. So to deny them the chance to, to fulfill that instinct that's ignorance, isn't it? So guys, if you have one of those dogs, got to get out there and stimulate them, got to get out there and exercise them. And together we can help get rid of some of these stereotypes on all of these dog breeds. The answer to today's trivia question, what rodent can survive on almost no water? It's the kangaroo rat. Yes. Now, these little dudes are actually not related to rats or mice, in fact. Now, their diets consist mostly of dry seeds and have almost no need for water. Now, they survive almost entirely on the water metabolized from seeds that they have eaten. Next on Speak a Dogcast, it's the history of Animal Mascots 101. Yes, this is our newest segment that we have added to the show. 
brand new segment. It's only the second week that we've done it. And it's really awesome. We got to go back to school, back to college a little bit, because we're going to be talking about the mascots associated with these schools. Look, there's so many colleges and universities in this country that have just incredible, amazing traditions, traditions that encapsulate animals and, 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 and the history of it. So we're going to dive into that a bit, go back to school, talk about these amazing traditions and how animals came to play such a significant role role representing the schools. Now you'll notice this week we had a different fight song than last week. Each week I'm going to put the fight song of the school that we'll be talking about. So last week it was the fight song from my personal favorite, the University of Florida, and this week it's from the University of Alabama. Now founded in 1830, the University of Alabama is one of the oldest universities in the United States. It's located in Tuscaloosa, Alabama, and the school is steeped in a rich college tradition and high achieving students and athletes alike. The football program has the second most national championships at 16, only trailing behind Yale University, who has 18. I have a feeling we're going to see that record broken <laughs> at some point soon. Now, it's this tenacity and competitiveness that has helped earn their, uh, the school their mascot. The football team played their first season in 1892, but it was not until 1930 that an association with a mascot started to become established. During an Alabama Ole Miss football game, a sports writer for the Atlanta Journal by the name of Everett Struper wrote an article describing the team. Now, sports writing at the time was very embellished. And it was very common to overhype the games and be very overdramatic. So at one point he wrote, At the end of the quarter, the earth started to tremble. There was a distant rumble that continued to grow. Some excited fan in the stands bellowed out, Hold your horses, the elephants are coming. And out stamped this Alabama varsity. Now, Struper and other writers, they continued to write about Alabama as the Red Elephants, as the school uniforms were that dark crimson that we all have come to know. And the name stuck, the season ended with a national championship, and of course, the tradition began. Now, although the team's nickname had stuck, it would be almost five more decades uh, before the elephant officially became the mascot of the University, uh, University of Alabama. Now, in the 1940s and 1950s, they had used a live elephant as the mascot that did show up to the games, but it was in the early 60s that they made the transition away from a live elephant to an anthropomorphic person in a costume. Now, a man by the name of Melford Espy Jr., he, who was uh, then a student at the time, was the first to don the costume. He later went on to become an administrator at the school, and in the late 1970s, when a group of students approached then-football coach, Paul Bear Bryant, about bringing back the mascot, Bryant asked Espy to take charge of the project. Now, the idea to give the mascot a name, create a personality of Big Al, as he did come to be known, this all started with a student named Walt Tart. Now, Walt was a member of Ta Kappa Epsilon fraternity, and together with the homecoming chair, Ann Page, they were able to secure funding for the costume. Tart had discovered that there were other schools in the SEC, or Southeastern Conference, for those of you uh, not familiar with college sports and football. Uh, the SEC had hired that, uh, the Walt Disney Company at the time to design the costumes, right? Look, as we learned before, you know, in the first, just in the first segment of this, it's not like there was just costume designers everywhere, right? There was only a handful of people making something like this that had the ability. And it, naturally, the Walt Disney Company... Um, perfect fit when you think about it. So that's kind of cool. Um, now, after receiving the designs back from um, the company, the pair got the approval from Coach Bryant, who was also the athletic director at the time to create the mascot. Now, the fan base loved him. He became a hit. And uh, sometimes he's even joined by his female counterpart, Big Alice. 
Now, one interesting thing about Big Al is that per the university rules, he is not allowed to interact with other mascots except for rare photo opportunities. This is because of an incident that happened in 2003 where Big Al and Seymour, the mascot from Southern Miss, got into a fight during the game. Now, originally there was a scripted fight that was supposed to happen between the two mascots, one taking place in front of the Southern Miss fans, where Big Al loses the fight, and one taking place in front of the Alabama student section, where Seymour loses the fight. However, Seymour apparently was having none of it that day, and he decided to go off script, and the two legitimately got into a real scuffle. The passion of football in the South can be a bit intense. <laughs> and this is a great example of a mascot that was created not because of a native animal, but because of what the animal represents. Power, tenacity, and drive. Next on Speaking Dogcast, it's the listener Q&A. The first question today comes from Patty from Lancaster, Pennsylvania. Patty asks, I have a three-year-old rescue mutt, about 40 pounds, and we have come a long way in her training. She used to lash out at other dogs and people, and now it's only some dogs and no longer people. Now, usually dogs that make intense eye contact or bark or lunge for her, those are the ones that tend to be the worst and set her off. Now, there are also some people in my neighborhood that try to tell me how to train my dog. Then there's the people that try and approach me with their dog, and it can make my dog nervous, and they just ignore me. They keep moving closer. What can I do to make these situations better? I don't want to come off as rude, but these instances happen so often, and it really ruins my experience in my walk with my dog. Patty, thank you for the question. Yeah, you know, look, I, I see what you're getting at. It's tough. Sometimes people think that they know better um, when it comes to training your dog or just training in general, and they attempt to tell everybody how and what they should do. And look, I, you sound like you might be nicer about it than I am. <laughs> no, look, I used to be, I'll, I'll be honest, my patience has, has worn down. I mean, if I'm just being very honest with you, I try to have patience with people but lately it's been getting thin with that kind of stuff. Um, not having respect for other people's animals, not having respect for other people's space with their dogs, with their animals. Um, it just, it amazes me that people are so cavalier about just approaching other people and their dogs, especially when it's with another, you know, they have a, you have a dog and you're just approaching this other person because you you don't know what that dog's gonna do. The, uh, the runaway leashes, the extendable leashes, how many times people just, oh, he's friendly, zoop, you know, I mean, come on. Uh, that's the leash going out, right? Uh, <laughs> So what can you do, Patty? Look, there's not much you can do short of being rude. I mean, that's the thing. You, you can be nice all day, but there are just some people who don't listen and don't hear you because, quite frankly, they don't want to hear you. So I view it as they're being rude by encroaching upon you. They're being rude by trying to give you their opinion. Like I have another client. I have a client in the area who, a longtime client, she's wonderful. She works hard. She's dedicated to her dog and she's made a tremendous change in that dog's life. And that was, was not an easy dog. It was not an easy fix. And together we've really, um, changed that dog's life, you know? And it saddens me because that part doesn't sadden me. What saddens me is there's people in her neighborhood who see the change in this dog and still think they need to tell her what to do, how to do it, and, and her dog doesn't get socialization. It's like her dog goes to doggy day camp every week with my dog. So what the hell do you know? And that's the point, Patty. 
I've kind of lost patience for people who don't have that basic respect and understanding that this isn't your dog. This isn't for you to go be a professional if you want to do that. You know what I mean? Like, otherwise you have no business telling people how and when and all that stuff they should should train their dogs. So Patty, unfortunately the answer I'm going to give you is you kind of have to stand up to these people. You can try to do it in the nicest way possible, but some people just don't hear it. At the end of the day, it's your dog. You've got to be an advocate for your dog. And the only way to do that sometimes is by not making friends in the neighborhood. (laughs) may not be what you want to hear. So what can you do to make the situations a little better? I mean, that's the first thing, to be honest. But the second thing is just say, oh, I'm training my dog. Sorry, we can turn and walk the other way. Oh, we're we're in training. We're in training. You know, blame a trainer (laughs) to get yourself out of there. So I know it's no fun. Look, the the other thing you can do is and I know you don't want to hear this, but maybe go for a walk with your dog somewhere else, not in your neighborhood. Even if it's just once or twice a week, it'll give you some reprieve. Go find a trail or something nearby in the area. Um, get some quiet time. You know, I hear you. So short of confronting the people and short of just not walking in your neighborhood, neighborhood, unfortunately, there's not a lot you can do because you can't control people. So I wish I had a better answer for you, Patty, but uh, good luck to you out there. Next question. This comes from Lauren from Gainesville, Florida. Lauren says, first, I wanted to say I really enjoyed your new segment last week as I am a Gator fan, and that was so interesting to hear how the Gator became our mascot. Go Gators. (laughs) Yes, go Gators indeed, Lauren. Now, but my question is that my dog barks a lot while, uh, barks, excuse me, my dog barks a lot at noises while he's inside the house. Now, he's fine outside in the yard, on the walk, in the car, out in public, but we just cannot get him to stop barking at everything he hears inside the house. How can we stop this behavior and get it under control? That's a great question, Lauren. Um, And that's very interesting, isn't it? Isn't that crazy how dogs can be particular like that? Um, And it's not that they're being particular. It's that for whatever reason, it became conditioned that way. Maybe it's the fact that your dog is inside the house, that it can't see what's happening outside. Um... And, and that makes him maybe a little more nervous. So, you know, the, the how and why we could play that game forever without me seeing the behavior. And even if I did see the behavior, I don't know necessarily why he's choosing um, the house versus anywhere else. You may not be able to see that. And quite frankly, it doesn't matter because how he fix it's the same anyway. So, you know, look, you have to redirect the behavior. It's kind of that simple. You have to redirect the barking somehow in either redirecting their focus or punishing to some degree, whether that just be a small touch correction, maybe even a small collar correction. Okay, this might be one of those opportunities where we let our dog drag the leash around the house carefully, monitored, right? Not unmonitored. That can be dangerous. But that way we can correct, redirect, and have a leash to do it with um, when they bark and they hear things. You know, the other thing you're going to want to do is set them up. Get somebody outside making these noises that, that he normally responds to or just making noises outside to get him to react to trigger that so you can correct and redirect it under a controlled setting. And not only that, rinse and repeat it. Okay. So that's an important part of it. We have to redirect, we have to punish. And then even more important, once your dog is quiet, when they hear a noise, reinforce them, tell them, good boy, and give them a reward for, well, being quiet, not reacting. Okay. But really it's kind of that simple. You have to tell them you don't like the barking and then you have to reward when he stops. Okay. Uh, maybe a little easier said than done, but feel free to reach out to me. If you'd like to do some virtual training, we could, we could do that as well. Um, so we can talk more in a, in an email. So uh, good luck, Lauren. Hope that helps out and uh, good luck training your dog and getting them to stop barking. <music> 
wrap up the podcast today. Thank you so much for listening in. If you haven't clicked that subscribe or that follow button, do so right now. New episodes come out every Wednesday and you're going to want to check them out. You can follow me on Instagram at speakadogcast. Become a patron of the show today at patreon.com slash speakadogcast and find me on YouTube at speakadogcast. If you love what you're hearing, do me a favor, click that five-star rating, leave me a review, click the thumbs up button. I would greatly appreciate it, guys. I want to thank my patrons, my pup supporter, Regula Wright, and my dog friend, Maureen Crosin. Have a wonderful week, and don't forget to get out there and walk your dog. Thank you.